Lord Jesus, it is only your amazing grace that sets us free. So pray that you would open what you say to us in the Bible now and through the words that I speak, through the thoughts that we think in these next few minutes, set us free in Jesus' name. Amen. Of the many things that Benjamin Franklin invented, one of them was a system to become morally perfect in just 12 weeks. You didn't know it was that easy, did you? He picked 12 virtues, things like patience, industry, that sort of thing, and he tried to, to live one virtue per week perfectly. And then he had this chart, and he would rate himself every day, and he noticed that within just a couple of weeks, he started to get better and better and better, a lot of improvement, until this one little tiny problem cropped up, pride. He started to feel superior to other people. So then he had to add humility to his list, but that was hard to do, so he finally just gave it up. Benjamin Franklin would have loved going to church in Galatia because the Galatians were all about trying to earn God's approval through their own hard work. But as we've been saying over and over again this summer, Paul writes the whole book of Galatians to make basically one point. And that is that what makes us right with God is not our good deeds. It is Jesus' death on the cross, period. Nothing else. Does that mean that we can do anything and be forgiven for it if we know Jesus? Yes. No exceptions, no fine print, no caveats. Now, usually when a pastor preaches a message like this, there's a question that comes up in dinner conversations throughout the week or emails that get sent, you know, in other churches, not this one. And that question slash objection goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. That cannot be what the pastor meant to say. We got to be able to do something. We have to do something for our own salvation. Otherwise, people will just run amok, do whatever they want. Folks will be saying, I like to sin. God likes to forgive. The world is admirably arranged. <laughs> cannot be having any of that, pastor. It is just too radical. Mm-hmm. Jesus is radical. God loves you and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. You might as well get used to it. Well, but isn't the point of being a Christian to be good? No. Good Christian is an oxymoron. Following Jesus, according to the book of Galatians, is all about freedom. Paul uses that word 11 times in six chapters. That's twice per chapter. Last time I preached, I asked you to repeat after me the sentence, I break agreement with the devil's lie that I have to perform to be accepted, and I choose to believe God's truth that because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Father unconditionally loves me. Because of Jesus, you are free from the perform to be accepted demon. Today I want to talk about a second freedom that God's unconditional love gives us, and that is the freedom from the bondage of sin. Now, some of you right now may be thinking, oh, see, I knew it. Here comes the fine print. Yeah, yeah, God loves us, but you better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he ticked, so look busy. That's not what I'm about to say. God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. But he also loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. See, here's the deal. Sin wrecks our lives. Lust frustrates us and it ruins our relationships because we treat people as objects. Anger eats us up inside. Selfishness leaves us lonely and creates a world of wars and poverty and injustice and that hurts all of us. In a word, sin stinks. 
But God's love frees us from sin. Now, did you hear what I just said? I didn't say God's rules free us from sin. I didn't say our own hard work frees us from sin. I said God's love is what frees us from sin. And this is where Benjamin Franklin got it all wrong. You see, Big Ben tried to get free by following a bunch of rules. The theological word for that is legalism. And Christians are notorious legalists. When I was in seminary, one summer I I took Greek here at Seattle Pacific University, thinking that I could transfer my credits to my seminary at Princeton. But the registrar at Princeton wouldn't accept the credits and said that I'd have to take Greek all over again. And I said, why? And she said, that's the rule. And I said, I understand that, but what's the reason for the rule? And she said, young man, the rule is the reason, and the reason is the rule. And she said, oh, that didn't sound very good, did it? I said, "Mm, mm, mm-mm, not so much, no. So she transferred the credits. (laughs) Churches are notorious for saying, here are a long list of rules, follow them. You know, here's all the things we don't do. You want to join us? But you know what? Jesus did not become famous for what he didn't do. You know, no one said, boy, look at that Jesus. Look at all the stuff he doesn't do. Let's follow him. No one said that. Writer Ken Davis tells a story about his wife one Sunday getting just fed up with kids who wouldn't sit still in church and got up and moved and all kinds of stuff. So she said to the kids, new rule, here's the new rule, sit still in church, don't get up for any reason. But the following Sunday during church, Ken Davis himself had to go to the bathroom. And when he told his wife, she was furious and she said, you know the rule, if you leave now you'll set a bad example for the kids. And he said, if I stay I'm going to set a bad example for the (laughs) kids. So he quickly left and got right back just as one of the hymns was ending, squeezed in the pew next to his wife, but he could tell by her body language that she was just really mad. So he put his arm around her and she took her elbow and jabbed him in the ribs to push him away. And he thought, man, here we are in church and she does that. And then he noticed he was in the wrong pew. That wasn't his wife. Whoops. Pastor saw the whole thing, started to crack up. The whole congregation started to laugh because it was funny. Well, after the service, a woman came up to Ken very angry and she said, that was disgusting. What do you think God thought about that? That's the image of church for a lot of people, right? If it's fun, we're against it. Why? Because them's the rules. And it's not just church, it's our whole culture that is rule-bound. I mean, look at all the self-help books, the diets, the motivational speakers. All of them say, just follow these rules and you'll be richer, slimmer, more popular, you name it. And now we're right back under the bondage of that performed to be accepted demon. That's what the Galatians were doing. They were saying, in order to be right with God, you have to get circumcised, eat the right foods, whole bunch of rules. There's a whole bunch of rules. But here is the revolution that Jesus launched. Here is the radical, never-before-thought-of revolution that Jesus launched. He didn't come to keep us in line. He didn't say, I've come that you might have rules and have them abundantly. He came to set us free. Free from condemnation, free to experience the Father's love, and then when we experience the Father's unconditional love for us, that's what sets us free from sin, not anything else. That's why Paul in this passage says, you foolish Galatians. I mean, that is harsh language from your pastor, right? I would never say that to you. You foolish Galatians. 
having experienced God's grace, why are you going back to the slavery of legalism? It will not set you free, only God's love will. At the end of this book of Galatians, Paul writes what I think is a life-changing verse. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that is the rules, means anything. What counts is a new creation. You see, what he really wants to do is not get them to follow a bunch of rules or you and me. What Jesus really wants to do, because God loves us so much, is to make us a new creation. And he will stop at nothing to help you become everything that you were created to be. To return you to your original design before sin and Satan messed you up, made you angry at others, sexually tossed about, put a barrier around your heart so people can't get in, and all kinds of other stuff. Last week, I I accidentally backed my car into another car and chipped off some of the paint in the other car just a little bit, but it was my fault. So I had to have a chat with the other guy's insurance agent who said, our goal is to put our client's car back the way it was before you messed it up. In other words, this is going to cost you a lot of money. So in that analogy, I'm Satan, and God's goal is to put you back the way you were before sin and Satan wrecked you. To free you from the bondage of sin, but also to free you for a life of joy instead of anxiety, community instead of loneliness, adventure instead of restlessness. And what gets us there is God's love. The only thing that gets us there is God's love. In this passage, Paul points out that the problem with legalism is it doesn't work. It makes us prisoners. He said it has imprisoned us. That's the word he uses. You see, no matter how hard we try, we cannot break the bondage of sin through our own efforts. It just doesn't work. There's just something in us that loves the sin. As a friend of mine says, I can resist anything except temptation. No matter what our ideals, no matter what we say we want to do, we can't do the thing we say we want to do. And that's not just Christians, that's everybody. That's just human. When I was in graduate school, there were several professors in the English department who were devout Marxists committed to taking from the rich and giving to the poor, but they were the top paid professors in the department. They were always asking for more money. One year they went to a Marxist convention and rented a yacht that had an open cash bar. I mean, think about it, a Marxist cash bar. Kind of a contradiction, don't you think? We would always joke that they weren't Marxists, they were Neiman Marxists. None of us can do what we say we want to do on our own. But the Father's love, the Father's love sets us free from the bondage of sin in two ways. First, the Father's love goes after the root cause of our sin, which is that we don't know how much God loves us. That's what was happening in the first temptation in the Garden of Eden. Right? The serpent casts doubt on God's love. Says to Adam and Eve, you better eat that fruit. God's trying to keep you from having fun. He's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. Mm-mm, don't trust him. He does not love you. And once they didn't trust the Father's love, they were putty in Satan's hands. You see, none of us have a sin problem. We have an intimacy problem. None of us have a sin problem. We have an intimacy problem. We don't experience the Father's love in a way that leads, that leads us out of sin. We don't experience it. We're not close enough to Him. And so that leads us into sin. Let me give you some examples. Let's say you're a little bit selfish with money, kind of uptight about money, and you always want more, and it's hard to give it away because you're afraid you're not going to have enough, and as a result, you're always worried about it, anxious. What the cross shows you and me, though, is that we are loved beyond all we can even imagine. 
And if God died for us, won't he also provide for our needs? Maybe not our wants, but our needs. And once you feel secure in that kind of love, the money issues start to disappear because you know God loves you and you know he's going to provide for you. The Father's love gets at the root cause. Pastor named Tim Keller tells a story about a woman whose life was a mess because she'd meet strange men in bars and she'd run off and just sleep with them that night. And that would leave her feeling used and kind of guilty and all kinds of stuff. But then through prayer and through worship, through some Christian friends, she experienced God's love in a deep way. And that began to uproot that need to find approval from some man out there. And when she'd feel tempted to hook up with some strange man that she didn't know, she would say to herself, I like men, I might like you. I like the possibility that you might like me, but you are not my life. And then she would repeat to herself, Colossians 3, 3, my life is hidden in Christ. I am loved by my father beyond imagination. I don't need you to feel good about me. That experience of God's love got at the root cause of her bondage and it set her free. A second way that God, the father's love sets us free from the bondage of sin is it makes us want to follow God's commands for joy filled living. And this has been one of the biggest revolutions or realizations in my own spiritual life that I've ever had. One of the biggest ones I've ever had. That, 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 that I don't obey God to earn his approval. I've already got it. Or to look good to God or anyone else. I don't obey even necessarily out of gratitude for what God has done, though that may be part of it. For me, one of the biggest breakthroughs of my life was when I realized that God loves me. Beyond my wildest imagination. And that must mean, if that is true, then it must mean that his commands are not meant to wreck my life, but to fulfill it. He's out. He's not out to take away my fun. He wants to set me free and give me joy and adventure and purpose. And sin just gets in the way of all of that. So for my own good, I want to obey. Not because I trust the rules or am earning his approval, but because I trust that the father's heart is for me. And since he made me, he knows better than I do what's going to give me lasting joy. Even if sometimes following him is harder, and it often is. Even if it means some sacrificing of short-term pleasure for long-term gain of of joy. Last night, our high school students returned from building houses in Mexico in response to God's call to care for the poor and the oppressed. Now, does God tell us to do that to, to make us miserable? Absolutely not. He says, do it because when we do, we experience joy, even though it may be very hard. And if it's anything like years past, most of these students will come back and they'll say, I got way more out, or I I got way more out of going than I got back. I, I got way more than I gave. It was an adventure. They experienced community. They got to partner with God in redeeming this world. That's why over 100 of them want to go every year, because it gives them joy. When we experience God's love, it undoes the root cause of sin. And it makes us want to obey him because we trust that he is for us because he loves us. And the good news is we don't have to do any of this alone because we can't. We have the Holy Spirit to help us out. A while back, our Sunday school children were learning about the Ten Commandments. And one of the girls said to the teacher, these are good rules, but pray for me. I'm having trouble with numbers five and ten and I need some help. In case you're wondering, that's honor your parents and do not covet. And that's a good, that's a a great insight, right? We all need help aiming our life in the right direction. Which is why throughout this passage, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit is there to give us the power to follow God and break the bondage of sin. And the Holy Spirit does that in lots of ways. He does it through those nudges we get, those thoughts in our head that nudge us to do this or do that. He connects us to God's love. 
He gives us strength to obey. So, for instance, when I'm tempted to give in to rage or lust or pride or anything else that will do soul damage and steal my joy, there's a voice that goes off in my head and the voice says, Scott, I know you think you want this, but deep down you don't really, really want this, way deep down. Isn't what you really want deep down, Scott, to be filled with peace instead of angry? Sexually whole instead of prone to lust? Free from thinking about yourself all the time? Isn't that what you really want? That's the Holy Spirit casting a vision for me of who I could be and what life could be like to give me strength to obey. Now, notice the Holy Spirit doesn't say, you rotten little creep. You should feel ashamed. That's the voice of Satan. That's the accuser. The Holy Spirit connects us to God's love and prompts us to follow his commands for our own good. Now, we have to cooperate with those prompts, and the Spirit helps us do that too, but not to earn God's love, but so that life gets bigger, richer, deeper, better. Heard a man named Rick recently talk about how at one point he was a worship leader in a church, but he got involved in the club scene, started drinking too much, eventually gave up on his faith. All of this kind of culminated in a really messy divorce from his wife. But he said that he had two nieces who loved him a lot, and they didn't judge him. Instead, they'd say things to him like, why do you seem so mad, Uncle Rick? You didn't used to be this mad. Or, Uncle Rick, you don't seem as happy as you used to be. We're going to ask Jesus to make you happy again. Or, we miss the old Uncle Rick. When's he coming back? And he said that through them, through, their, through the ways that they were kind of wanting the best for him, he began to experience God's love for him, really in the first time, for the first time in his life, even though he'd worked in the church all those years. He realized that God wasn't condemning him, but was saying, for your own good, so that you can have joy, do what I tell you to do. So he began to pray again and read scripture. And through all of that, he experienced God's love in a very deep way, and he was able to stop drinking, got less angry, and then began to heal some of the wounds between he and his ex-wife. Now, if his nieces had said to him, you big jerk, what's wrong with you? You know, that probably wouldn't have worked as well as their love and their desire to see him whole and filled with joy. Now, they didn't approve of everything he was doing, but they didn't judge him either. Instead, they loved him and gave him a vision for what his life could be. And the joy that he could have. Rules did not set him free. An experience of the Father's love set him free from sin. And then when he experienced that love, he wanted to obey God so that he could have joy. You see, the tragedy of the Galatians is that they were, that they were taking the most powerful agent of transformation in history. The unfathomable love of God. And they were changing it to say, you know, you know what, that's not good enough. You've got to do a whole lot of other things to make it okay with God. But what Paul is saying is, no, we don't change the good news of Jesus' love. The good news of Jesus' love changes us. So this week, how do we experience God's love? How can we do it practically? Well, it helps to come to worship. You've already done step one, to be reminded of it. It helps to read scripture, to know God's promises for you. It helps to pray and listen for God to speak. It helps to have others who love you like Jesus, warts and all. But the best thing you can do is ask for it. So between now and Labor Day, why don't you make this your daily prayer? Jesus, make your love real to me, not just in my head, but in my heart. Make that your daily prayer. The passage we read today says that if you know Jesus, you are sons and daughters of God. And his Holy Spirit lives inside of us and cries out, Abba, Father. And many of you know this, that word Abba is the most intimate term for Father there is. The best translation would be probably Daddy. And it's that close intimacy with our Father that sets us free. 
Pastor John Ortberg tells a story of a friend of his who was in the grocery store once with his two-year-old son who was crying, whining, throwing this big fit, and dad was trying everything to calm the kid down. At one point, he was, the dad was walking through the store murmuring, calm down, Billy. Take a deep breath, Billy. You can handle this, Billy. And a woman overheard him and said, you're very patient with your son. And, and he said, no, no, my son's name is Tommy. I'm Billy. <laughs> Been there, done that. Finally, he picked up his son and kind of held him to his chest and started to sing this kind of goofy little song. He said, I love you, Tommy. I'm glad you're my boy. I like the way you laugh. I'm glad I get to be your dad. Just kind of sang this over and over and over again. It was kind of a goofy song. None of the words rhymed. Father sang it off key. But Tommy's eyes got real big. And he calmed down and stopped crying. Started to rest in his father's arms. And then when his father would stop singing, Tommy would say, sing it again, Daddy. Sing it again. And then... Just keep resting in his father's arms. Certain that there was no catch, no hidden fees or penalties to his father's song. No limit on his father's good intentions for him and nor to his power to carry them out. You see, the truth is we are all messed up and thrown fits because of sin. That's us. But when we experience the father's love, it sets us free. So this week... Will you remind yourself that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you do not have to perform to be accepted for God or anyone. And then will you ask God to help you experience his unconditional love for you? We can't do this on our own. This is not something we can just whip up on our own efforts. But between you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that connects us to the Father's love, you can send the devil running. You can be free. That's what Paul is saying over and over. You can be free. Starting this week. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would do that for us. Make us free from the sin that so entangles and wrecks our lives. God, help us to experience your love in a way that gets at that root cause and that makes us want to follow you with everything we've got. Help us do this. We can't do it on our own. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.